Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. When he builds his church, you are privileged because he uses us. As the worship team was singing that, there's another part of that song. Colin, I'm almost, I'm almost certain that we missed this part of the song. This, this, this song comes from Matthew 16 where Peter you know, makes the great declaration that you are the Messiah. And then he says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. But there's another part of the song that we keep missing. Over, We always we get stuck on the build. And I'm grateful that Jesus built his church. But verse 19 says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And then he says, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, we are gathered in this room as authoritative people that have the keys of the kingdom, that have the ability to bind and the ability to loosen. A lot of times, a lot of times when we think about that, we were like, oh, that's just for the charismatics. What? Jesus gave me authority to bind on earth? I walk in a different level of authority. And I, I don't know about you, man. I hope you are glad that you made it to church around a bunch of people that are authoritative. Anybody glad you made it to church today? <laughs> Hallelujah. And the reason you made it to church so that we can sing about the praises of our great God and King Jesus and so that we can preach about him. Uh, I just want to see the first time visitors. If this is your first time in the room, can I just see your hands one, once more? Dad. Dad. It's amazing. Thank y'all, man. Wow. It's amazing. Thank y'all for coming to church. We are a rowdy uh, bunch of people that genuinely love uh, to make a lot of noise about Jesus. And honestly, we don't do enough. We, we don't. Somebody didn't. We don't do enough. We, we should do more because he's, he's just been that good and he's always, he's always, always good. And so my responsibility up here is to preach the word of God. Anybody ready for the word? Good. Let's grab our Bibles. Go to the Old Testament. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. Go to Nehemiah. Once you get to Nehemiah, do me a favor. Go to Nehemiah chapter four. Full transparency as you turn there. I genuinely, up until last night, had a completely different message that I was that I was preaching today. I had a haircut appointment last night at, eight, at 6 o'clock. I don't know if Andre is in here, but I had an haircut appointment at 6 o'clock. And um, on my way to the appointment, while I was sitting in the Uber, um, the Lord just called an audible on what to preach today. And so I emailed the tech team real quick, and I just said, hey, man, I, I need y'all to change this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, because, you know, that creates a lot of more work. People got to create graphics and and then I had five points, so I didn't just change the message, but I put points. And I was like, please, just throw these in there, because I really felt like uh, my time of just reading this passage, the Lord was really speaking to me. And it was very clear that he didn't want me to preach what I was preaching. Two things you should know about that. Number one, that means you should play, pay clo uh, special close attention today, because I really feel like he switched it for a reason. Trust me, I could have had a much easier Saturday night. I could have been having to, to you know, switch a, a message around. But um, I genuinely feel like God wants to do something in the hearts of his people today. So please pay close attention. The second thing I need you to do is give your boy a little grace. Okay, this might be a little rough around the edges on, on the flow because I ain't have a lot of time. I just, God didn't give me a lot of time to fix this one up. So it might just be splattered together. Uh, and those of you who are first time visitors, come back next week. I promise I'll do better. I promise y'all I'll do better next week. This week, we're just going to throw it all together, and honestly, I have no clue how this will end. Um, it certainly, probably was about 90% of the room was on the altar in the last service, simply because they were responding, because I, what got switched in that Uber was, was definitely for the house, and I believe the, the same to be true here. Um, real quick, before we dig in, the night of prayer is going to be lit. It's going to be amazing, and I really, really hope that you would, uh, would show up and be here you know, prayer has become a lost art in the church, a lost, I should say spiritual discipline in the church. And um, if you were here last week, um, shout out to Bishop George C. Wright. But one of the things he was talking about systems and he was talking about prayer and the importance of prayer. And so 
my hope and prayer is that we could um, that we could be in this room and show up the way we showed up for the worship night. Because y'all know worship and prayer go together. And so we should be a people that are excited to worship Jesus with music and instruments and voices. But we should also be a people that is serious about prayer because the Bible calls us uh, calls us to pray. I was, I was sharing with a group of people yesterday. I was teaching a class on spiritual gifts and I was sharing with them um, that God has really been challenging me personally on just my prayers. And I think about the disciples that walked with Jesus and they still didn't know how to pray to the point where they had to say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gave them the Lord's prayer. And I think what prayer nights do is they give us the opportunity to continue to learn how to pray. Anybody ever just like get excited when somebody else prayed? You hear, you hear those prayers go up. That there's, a, there's a reason for that. All right, so let, let's get into the word of God. Um, yeah, let's do it, man. Nehemiah chapter four. Pick me up in verse number six. Gabe, I don't know if the air is on, but if... Whew, feels like hell in here. That ain't what we need in hell. We need that. Turn that AC on. Please. Thank you. All right. All right. Pick me up in verse number. Uh, let's do verse six. Are y'all there? Y'all could just be like, I'm there, Pastor B, if y'all there. Just, I'm there, Pastor B. There we go. All right. Um, so we built the wall. And the wall was joined together at half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Let me, let me say that again. Please underline that. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalad and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set, guard, set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Look at these first two words here. In Judah, it was said that the strength of those that bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we have come on them and killed them with a, with a uh, kill them and stop the work. Jump down to verse 14. I'm just going to pull out. One little phrase in that verse 14, the B part. Here's what Nehemiah said. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I want to preach today from the topic entitled dealing with discouragement. Dealing with discouragement. Let's let's look to the Lord before we uh, before we jump in. Father, we yeah, we're, we're grateful, Lord. We're so grateful because you've you've been so good and so kind and. So, Lord, we gather in this room overwhelmed, in awe, dumbfounded, because you're just so faithful. And, Lord, your faithfulness is really proven, oh God, in those moments where we're not faithful to you. And yet, you still remain in love with us. You still remain consistent to us. You still give us good things and you still take away things that are not good. You still wake us up in the morning. You still, you still give us the ability to breathe. God, we thank you. And we pray, oh God, as we enter into this moment of understanding your word, help us to rely deeply on your spirit. I pray Samuel's words in 1 Samuel 3. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We don't know why you changed this message, but Lord, there's something you want to say. And so use the scraps for your glory and for your honor. In his name and his name alone, we pray. Amen. Dealing with discouragement. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians something very, very interesting about, about Satan, about the enemy, about your adversary. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says, we are not ignorant to Satan's devices. Or another word, your translation might say Satan's schemes, but I really like this word devices because what this suggests to me is that when Satan looks at your life, he usually has a tool belt. And in that tool belt is a bunch of different devices. 
And he pulls out the device that will entice you and lure you away from the things of God. And I know, I know how you are. You like, man, I overcame that, so I'm good. But just when you think you're good, he pulls out another tool. And he begins to use that tool on you. It's, it's, it's an arrogant thing to think that you are stronger than the enemy. He is pretty strong. Without Jesus and without the Spirit's work in your life, it is hard to overcome the tools that he uses. And so when I survey some of the attacks that the enemy has used on me, and I consider what tools he uses to pull me away. Here's just a few. I don't know if these are yours. He's used jealousy before. That's a tool in his belt that he uses to pull you away from the things of God. Hatred. He's using to pull, that, pull you away from the things of God. Envy. Pride. Oh, come on. See, you know what? Pride, pride is a hard one because pride sneaks in in the seasons where things are good. Y'all know what I'm talking about? In them seasons where it seems like everything's good and you and the Lord are good and don't get favor and open doors. You get a favor and you get open doors and you know they used to say favor is fatal because you get open doors and you don't even realize that pride seeps into your heart and there's no humility and the enemy is like, yes, I got them. They made more money, but I got them prideful. It's a tool that he pulls out of his tool belt. Here's another one. He uses sensuality or sexuality as a tool against you. He uses deceit. Here's one in the church. He uses gossip. It's a dangerous one. You know, there's a verse. I don't know exactly where it is, but it talks about how gossip, when it spreads, it's like gangrene. It literally eats upon the local body of the church. And a lot of people, I realize there are some people that gossip and know they're gossiping. And there's some people that gossip and don't even realize that they've gossiped. Gossip is a tool that the enemy uses against you. Slander is a tool that he uses against you. And finally, I think one of the sharpest tools that he uses in his tool belt is discouragement. And what the enemy does is he, he sets you up and makes you think that thing is going to come through only for you to be disappointed. And once the disappointment hits, it usually moves to discouragement. And once the discouragement hits, it usually moves to doubt. And once the doubt hit, it usually moves to being divisive. Usually. That's the progression. But at the core of that thing, a lot of you are trying to deal with so many situations in your life and you're really dealing with the snot, not the virus. The virus is actually discouragement. You've been hurt and you've been, you've been let down. Let me just do a, a poll in the room. How many people in the room right now, not in the past season, right now you've experienced a, a, a season of just discouragement? You had some things that you were, damn, look at this. Look at the room. Hold your hand up high. Look at the room where, the, where God promised some things or you thought, you know, you had some expectations only to be let down and that let down or that disappointment somehow, some way causes discouragement. Somebody say discouragement. Some of you are, your discouragement has stopped your movement. It has stopped your pace. It has stopped your spiritual growth. I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I know. There are some of you in this room that have an unfinished project that you, you've been working on and you stopped because you looked around you and you saw that you didn't have the money to finish the project. And so you stopped. And at the, at the core of that stop was really discouragement. Some of you, it might be a diet, right? This is simple stuff. But I've learned that when discouragement hits one area of your life, it usually runs rampant through the rest of your life. So some of you, it's a diet. You're like, man, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to get in shape. I want to. I want to feel better. And so you went on a diet only to, to, you know, emotional eating is a real thing. Only to find yourself going back from that diet or making a commitment to the gym and not sticking with it. Some of you were in the middle of writing a business plan because you know you're still working at nine to five and God told you to get off that job. I know I'm talking to somebody. God told you to get off that job and do your own thing. But you, you, you know, the, the Bible says despise not the days of small beginnings. And so because it's a little rough right now and nobody understands your vision and nobody will give you that loan and nobody, you know, nobody will support you, you will have been discouraged. Maybe it shows up in bigger areas. Maybe it's your marriage. Where we're going back and forth and we, we can't ever seem to find continuity. We just keep arguing with each other. And because of those arguments and that back and forth and that tension, it causes us to be discouraged. Maybe it's a parent. 
Well, you, you, you've been trying to parent and do the best you can, but that one child, that one child just keeps going the way that you're telling them not to go, and you have a sense of discouragement. Discouragement has a way of getting at us. And I believe that we arrive at a passage in Nehemiah chapter 4 that will help us with our discouragement because if you paid attention when I was reading, verse 6, the people were excited. In fact, this is what verse 6 says. The people had a mind to work. By the time you get to verse 10, the Bible says the strength of those that bear the burdens are failing. What happened from verse 6 to verse 10? What happened in five short verses? Here's what happened. Discouragement. And some of you right now, you might be in verse 6 right now. But if you live a, long, a little bit longer, you'll get to verse 10 where you will experience whatever happens between 6 and 10, which is discouragement. I got five now. This is how you know I didn't really polish the sermon well, because I usually don't. I, I taught a preaching class and said, don't ever do more than three points. People just, just too much. I got five today, and this is what I got. So, amen. Five points, really, are, they're not five points. Let me cons consider them as five lessons. I got five lessons and then one remedy. So really, <laughs> six points. Five lessons, and then I got one remedy, and I'm going to get y'all out of here before the rain starts. All right, somebody said, please. Somebody didn't bring an umbrella. Got to be prepared and ready. All right, dis disclaimer real quick. I'm going to preach the text backwards a little bit. Usually I would start with six and like expositionally work down. I'm going to start from 10 and I'm going to work back just a little bit. Here's lesson one. If you're taking notes, it'll be up on the screen. Lesson one. If you are going to dismantle discouragement, you have to accept the reality that discouragement happens to all of us. In other words, no one escapes discouragement. Nobody. All of us in this room will experience discouragement. Why don't, why don't you pay attention to some of the words here? In verse 10, in verse 10, it says, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those that bear the, the, the burdens of, are, are failing and the rubble is too much by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. Now, it's important to pay attention to who the discouragement is happening to in the text. It says, in Judah, now, out of all the tribes, Judah is the cream of the crop. Judah is the one that you do not expect to experience uh, uh, discouragement. I don't know if you know how this works, but in, in, in 931 BC, after the death of Solomon, the two kingdoms split into two. So you have the, I think Jair talked about this a little bit at the Bible study. You have the northern kingdom, which is Israel. And then you have the southern kingdom, which is Judah. Now, when Israel was acting crazy, Judah usually remained faithful, even though they experienced the consequences of Israel's disobedience. Judah usually remained faithful on some level. In fact, when you read through the scriptures, you'll see that Judah is a major player to the movement of scripture. Every king, with the exception of Saul, came out of Judah. That, that means David came out of Judah. Solomon came out of Judah. King Uzziah came out of Judah. Jehoshaphat came out of Judah. King Hezekiah, King Zedekiah all came out of Judah. Some of them were good kings. Some of them were bad kings. But nevertheless, they were birthed through the bloodline of coming out of Judah. Y'all remember we went through Habakkuk? Three of y'all, because it's a whole new church. Post-pandemic church. We, we went through the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet specifically to Judah. All right, let me get you on this one. What about our Lord and Savior? He's nicknamed Lion of because he comes through the line of Judah. Remember when, when uh, um, Jacob, I'm going too deep here, when Jacob was, was uh, prophesying to his sons in Genesis 49, and when he's prophesying to his sons, he gets to Judah. And what does he say to Judah? The scepter will not depart from your house. What does that mean? That means that the Messiah will be born through Judah. And so Judah is a big deal. Judah's the last tribe that should be experiencing discouragement. They're the last ones. But even though they are usually spiritually more mature than the rest of the tribes, usually they're experiencing discouragement right now. What, what this simply suggests to me is that there's nobody in this room that's exempt because if Judah can go through discouragement, who do you think you are? Because you know why I have to say this? Because there are some people that are overly spiritual and, you know, somebody, somebody asks you how you're doing is blessed and highly favored. And it's like, no, no, no. Did you see those hands in the room? And I said, who's experienced discouragement? That was most of the room. What that suggests to me is that at some point, even if your hand wasn't raised, 
you will experience this thing called discouragement. Somebody say discouragement. It is impossible to learn how to overcome discouragement if you think you'll never be discouraged. At the core, the foundation of what we need to do today to get the lessons out the way, at the core and the foundation of it is a realization that we need to normalize discouragement, not act like it ain't real. Because you'll never get healed. You'll never, God, you'll, you'll never invite God into that situation if you deny that it's actually there. No, there are moments where I have discouragement. When I asked y'all to raise your hand, both my hands was up and all 10 toes went up. Because there are, there are just those moments. And there's somebody in the room now. You're ready to give up. You walked in here and, and, and you're ready to throw in the towel. You wish you had stayed home today because you're experiencing that, uh, that season of discouragement. But just hold on a little bit longer. Because God is with you in the discouragement, even if he doesn't take you out of it just yet. I know, I know how we do in church. We be like, uh-uh, Pastor B, just pray that prayer that removes the discouragement. But what if he doesn't remove it and it's part of the sanctification process for you? Point one, lesson one, the text teaches us that none of us can escape discouragement. We'll all deal with it. Here's lesson two. Discouragement is a spiritual issue, not simply an emotional issue. Now, this almost feels reverse of what I usually say. When I'm up here, I'm like, man, y'all take your emotional state serious. Y'all need to go to therapy. How many people in the room in therapy? You in counseling? Shout out to y'all. Our church has put resources behind this because we want to see people get the help because there's just some areas of your life you need somebody to ask you the right questions. I had counseling on Thursday. Because I just want to sit sometimes and just somebody, Ty and I, we just want to sit and, and let somebody ask us those questions. Not because something's wrong, but because it's preventive. And so, look, I'm, I'm all for it. But I also know there has to be a balance. Because there's some stuff that you're going to sit on the couch of a therapist for that is really a spiritual issue. Y'all hear me? There's some stuff that you are that you are wrestling with right now and you're trying to you're trying to get it solved by human means. And God is like, the only thing that will take that thing away is when I enter into that situation. It's not just emotional. It's not just emotional. It is absolutely 100 percent spiritual. Y'all know that that red 100 on your emoji. It's that. It's, it's, it's that red. It's that red emoji. Now, here's how I know. That your situation, your discouragement is not only emotional, but it is spiritual. Consider the text with me for a second. If I went around this room and I said, hey, what is the book of Nehemiah about? Most of the room will say it's about rebuilding the wall. Right. And I would agree. But I would say that's actually a secondary application to what it's about. Because if it was just about rebuilding the wall, do you realize that the wall is actually complete in two more chapters? So chapter six, the wall is done. Why does the book go on to chapter 13? You know why the book goes on to chapter 13? Because it's not just about the wall. It's about chapter 8. Because chapter 8, the Bible says the priest, Ezra, comes out and he says, bring the book of the law. And he sits in the middle of the square and the Bible says he reads the Torah or, or the Tanakh, the, the Pentateuch, Moses' writings from morning to evening. So it's not just about protecting them from invading enemies that will physically kill them. It's about protecting the temple, which is inside of the walls. In other words, the rebuilding of the wall was not just to build people physically, but a spiritual building. Did y'all hear that? It is about a spiritual building, and you think your discouragement is just physical. No, no. Your, your discouragement is every bit of spiritual as well. When I went to Israel years ago, there's a part of Israel that's called Old City. And inside of Old City, if you've ever been, there's a wall around Old City. But the wall is there to protect the Temple Mount, which is in the middle of the city. Now, the Temple Mount right now is under Muslim control. And honestly, as a Christian, I really don't care. You know why I don't care? Because when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says that inside of the temple, he tore the veil. That, that I, I just studied last night. The veil. He, he tore the veil. And the scripture gives me details. See, it says from top to bottom. Why does it give me that detail? Showing me that 
The holies of holies is not just to be entered into a few times a year by a few people, but everybody that names the name of Jesus Christ has full access. So I don't need to go to the temple. I don't care who has control of the temple. Jesus is my all access pass into the Father. What protected the temple at this time was the wall. So in other words, the wall is not just there for physical protection. It is there so that the people can be connected back to God. That's a spiritual connection. You thought that your emotional issues, your, your discouragement was just an emotional issue. When in reality, God is trying to get you to realize that that thing is not just an emotional issue. That thing at the core of it absolutely is a spiritual issue. Now, listen, go to counseling. I'm not taking that away from you. I'm not trying to get you, a, you know, some creative way to get you to save money this year. Go to, go to counseling, go to therapy, work through that issue. But also, if not more important, make sure that spiritually you are taking your problems to the Lord. He wants you to. He'd be like, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. He is the one that we are supposed to run to and not run away from. Okay, third, third lesson. This should hit hard because it's in New York. Lack of rest opens us to the possibility of discouragement. I need you to pay attention to the, to the language that's in verse number four. It says, in Judah, it was said the strength of those was bearing, was that, uh, who bear the burdens was failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Discouragement crept in. To, to, to Judah at this moment, simply because they were overworked. And so I know this one's not spiritual enough for you. You're like, uh-uh, give me some Greek, give me some Hebrew on this, Pastor B. No, get some rest. Because your lack of rest is making you susceptible to the attacks of discouragement. And I don't think we realize that. And some of y'all got dope jobs, and you know, we, y'all know we pride ourselves of, of, of being on our grind. Y'all know we do that? Back in the day, I don't know if y'all do that now, but back in the day, you know, when I was younger, y'all remember when, when Diddy had that sleep, you know, no sleep grind? Y'all remember that? It was like, yo, no sleep. Everybody just be up. People, three o'clock in the morning, go, I'm in the studio. Bro, go to sleep. And the crazy thing was, Diddy, Diddy got rest. Y'all ain't never see him on his yacht. He gets rest. But, but it, it's, this, it's this weird model that Christians subscribe to as though being on my grind is what makes impact. Being on my grind ain't what makes impact, trusting the Lord. And when you're on your grind and you're like, I got to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Some of y'all in the midst of the sermon, you've been checking your emails at work. Some of y'all in the midst of worship, we were saying build your church and you texting about work stuff. Why? Because you want to get ahead of the game for Monday. How about you give Jesus the day? Give him the day and be like, nah, that got to wait. And when we don't do that, it really is a, it's a trust issue. We don't trust that if we don't be on our grind, that we will actually accomplish the thing. But if I understand how Jesus modeled for us rest, he didn't have to rest, but the Bible says on the seventh day he rests. Let me go deeper. When he had Israel wandering around, what did he do? He dropped manna six days. Oh, the seventh day you didn't get manna. So on the sixth day he said, collect double. Because ain't nothing dropping on, 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 on that seventh day. What that suggests to me is that, is that Christians need to learn how to rest better. The Jews got it. Go to Williamsburg on Saturday. <laughs> Shut down everything. I'm serious. I don't care if you had a toothache. You better go to a non-Jewish dentist because it's shut down. Why? Because they understand rest. And here it is. We got the truth of the one that is rest. He said, I'm, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And so why do we as Christians get on our grind and not, and not find ourselves fulfilled in this moment of rest? Some of y'all, the deepest thing you can do this week is just sleep in a little bit longer, text a job and tell them I'll be in later. Some of, some of y'all this afternoon, if it start raining, open up the window a little bit and get you that good nap. Y'all know the nap with the mouth open? That nap is what you need. Some of y'all ain't taking vacation in years. What, what, do you, what do you, you think you can't be on mission on vacation? 
Some of y'all, that's, that's the deepest thing that you can do is just find ways to get rest. Why? Because the moment you are working, 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 and I know you got a good job and I know you're making money, but at the end of the day, you're discouraged. You're discouraged. And why are you discouraged? Because you haven't found good pockets and good rhythms of rest. I don't know where I'm at. I'm just all over the place here. Here's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Here's Jesus' words, and rest a while. Christians shouldn't be grinding to the point where we're falling apart. And some of us are, man. New York got you bamboozled. New York got you, got you crazy. You're working all the time, and it's not healthy. Somebody say it's not healthy. Because rest is not a sign of laziness. Rest is a sign of trust. Rethink that. Rethink that thing. Rest is a sign that I trust you, Lord. And if it ain't done in six, it ain't going to get done. Let me tell you how I kind of work this thing. You know, I, I got Fridays off, like off, off, like no emails, no text messages off. And not just me. We require the whole staff to do that. Take off on Fridays. And what that means is get your work done Monday to Thursday. It's a reason the UK is moving to four, four day work weeks. You know why they're doing that? Because statistically, it's true that you get more work done in four days than working five days. Why? Because I'm going to grind harder in that four and I'm going to rest. And some of y'all, when I'm talking about rest, you, if you got no job, you can't rest from rest. Like, no, you might got to do the opposite of what I'm saying. You need to work. I'm just simply saying, if you're grinding hard, to the point where you've opened yourself up to discouragement and attacks from the enemy, it is not wise. There's no job I would ever take that worked me into the ground to where I'm physically messed up. I got anxiety. I'm having panic attacks. I'm checking my phone. I'm checking my email. I don't want to do that. Is there anybody else that just wants to be holistically healthy? Let me get off this. Rest. NASCAR has pit stops. Pull into the pit stop this week. And rest a while. Listen, I got, a, I got a sabbatical coming up. Every August, I take some time off. And in the beginning, I felt really guilty about it. I used to feel really guilty. Like, oh, God, like, man, like I'm leaving and, you know, so much stuff to do. And there is. There's work still not done. But now I'm like, babe, where's the passports? Get the bags, pack them up. Because I'm taking five whole weeks. Oh, yeah, I'm taking five weeks. And, and here's why. Here's why, because I, I want to trust the Lord. And here's the thing, when I took it last week, I came back and the church was, was healthy, nothing fell apart, you know, because this thing ain't, y'all heard the song, build your church, that's the Lord building the church. And I will say the same thing in your life. If you think that that thing will fall apart because you didn't rest, then that means you're the owner of that thing. But when you understand that God is the owner of all things, you can sleep and sleep real good. All right, I'm going to run off this point. Lesson one, no one escapes discouragement. Lesson two, discouragement is a spiritual issue, not an emotional one. Number three lesson, lack of rest opens us up to the possibility of discouragement. Number four, stop focusing on the obstacle. Pay attention to verse number 10. I'm stuck here. In Judah, it was said that the strength of those that bear the burdens is failing there is too much rubble. Now, pay attention to this. That rubble didn't show up in verse 10. It was there when they first started working in chapter 3. In chapter 3, the rubble was already there. Remember why Nehemiah had to go. Nehemiah went because when the Babylonians overtook Jerusalem, they destroyed the walls and Nehemiah heard about it. And so he found his way all the way over to Jerusalem because he was in Persia, found his way in Jerusalem, looked at the walls and it was rubble. Now, here's the thing. It's less rubble now because verse six said that they had built the wall halfway already. So there's less rubble than before. But yet somehow in verse 10, they found themselves not focusing on the God of the work. They found themselves focusing on the rubble, found themselves focusing on the obstacles. And here's what I know about your obstacles. There is not a decision that you can make that there will not be obstacles in your way. You're, you're always going to have obstacles. I remember when we first got this, um, got this building. And if y'all were in here at the time, we had legit, we had a, 
there, there was a, um, a, a sound booth over here. Y'all are sitting in the bar. Okay, that, that's the bar. Over here was the kitchen. And it was a wall that right where the, the floor is different, there was a wall here and there was a kitchen. Anybody remember this? And then over here was a stage. And this was the VIP section. Y'all got, got the right spot. It was a little spot over here. It was cool. They had cool neon lights and stuff. And so the first part of construction for us was Gabe said, we have to bring in a crew to demo, not build. So they got to demo everything, tear everything down. So some guys came in and literally went to work, smashing stuff, taking the bar up, taking the glass, the wires, just ripping stuff apart. And one day I came in here and there was a pile where this stage is of just rubble. And for weeks it sat here. They were working and doing stuff around it, and it made me anxious. I used to come in going, Gabe, look, they, bro, they got to do something about that. And y'all remember, we was trying to get in here on December 9th, so we was like, yo, was, come on, they got to they move this rubble. And we were getting frustrated because they couldn't figure out how to get the permit to get the, the dumpster outside. And so we had just this pile of mess, and it made me anxious. And I remember saying this, this scripture to Gabe going, Gabe, the people were focusing on the rubble. Why are we looking at the rubble? Let's, let's stop looking at this stuff. And some of y'all, that's, that's your life right now. What you're doing is you're looking at the obstacles that are around you. And I'm trying to plead with you that the obstacles ain't going nowhere. For some of you, this is probably a little bit more practical as well. Those of you who work at home, it's more conducive for productivity to work in a clean space. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I just get anxious when the dishes is piled up. I get anxious, you know, if the trash ain't taken out. I'm texting the boys. I told y'all last week, that, or uh, yesterday, that's one of the responsibilities of the boys. Like, I don't do dishes when I pay for the, for the, for the, for the spot. <laughs> or, or you want to do dishes. That's how it works. And so when I come home or if I wake up and dishes are piled up or the, the trash, it makes your boy anxious. Some of y'all, that's the other spiritual thing y'all can do. Clean the room. Uh, see, I knew it wasn't deep enough for you. Clean the house. Because you're, that, that junk around you can really mess you up. So in the text, they were focusing on the rubble that was there before they even started the work, but they built half of the wall and they started to get discouraged because they stopped looking at the wall that was halfway done and looking at the rubble that was around the wall. And that's some of you in the room. You know, there's a quote that says, if you take a penny and you put it close to your eye, you can block out the sun. Now, you think I'm talking about the S-U-N, but some of y'all are so fixated on the, on the stuff around you and the obstacles that that is close enough to your vision that you can't see the S-O-N. You're not focusing on Jesus no more. You're focusing on the obstacles. And as a consequence, it got you discouraged. Stop focusing on the obstacles. They said it's just, it's just too much rubble. But in saying it's just too much rubble means that I'm focusing on the wrong thing. Some of you don't have the money to start that business. Why are you focusing on the fact that you don't got the money? Let me tell you all something. I ain't ever, when God called me to move out and do something, I ain't ever had the money. Never. 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 He, ne he never gives you the, the stack because if he does, you'll focus on that. And so what he does is he gives you droplets. And some of y'all are going, I can't start this business. I can't, you know, I can't move out and do the thing that God wants me to do. Why can't I do it? Because I don't have the money. Baby, you don't got the money, but your God, he knows how to provide. Why are you focused on that? Some of you are a little worried about going back to school and you don't want you. You're like, I can't go back to school because, you know, I got to do this and I got to work and I got I to gotta take care of the kids. That's the rubble. That, that's the obstacles. Let's put our focus on what God is able to do. And if I understand Ephesians 3.20 well, he's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. Some of you stop serving in church. You know why you stop serving? Because the rubble. And you're like, and it's, it's actually messing with your spiritual growth. It's messing with your spiritual. I promise y'all I'm not trying to stack the team today. I promise y'all I'm not. I'm trying to stack your spiritual growth. Because some of you stop because all you do is focus on the rubble. So the scripture here says that they looked at the rubble, despite the fact that the rubble was there the whole time, and they begin to focus on that instead of focusing on the work that they already had did. And as a consequence, they got discouraged. Lesson one, no one escapes discouragement. 
Lesson two, discouragement is a spiritual issue, not simply an emotional one. Lesson three, lack of rest opens us up to the possibility of discouragement. Lesson four, stop focusing on the obstacle. Finally, lesson number five, discouragement comes through opposition. I'm going to do this real quick. Look at verse number six. Verse six says, so we built the wall and all of the wall was joined together half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Samballad and Tobias, Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and, uh, and that the breaches were be beginning to close, they were very angry. And so they plotted together to come and fight. Pay attention to that word to fight against them in Jerusalem and, and to cause confusion in it. And we pray to our God that he set a guard and protection against them day and night. Go, go to verse 11 real quick. Verse 11 then says, and our enemies said, they will not know or see till we have come among them and killed them and stopped their work. We finally get introduced to these two idiots. Finally, we get introduced to, to Tobiah and Samballot. Now, here's the thing. They're mentioned throughout the whole book. And you know what they're mentioning? You know what, you know what they're doing every time they're mentioned? Talking. Did you notice that they said we're going to fight? There's not one fight in the book of Nehemiah. There's no battles. Like it, nobody's, nobody's throwing hands. The only one that really was ready to throw hands was Nehemiah because he did say and later on that if I catch you around the wall, I'm going to come and lay hands on you. That's what he said. That's what he said. But the whole time, all they're doing is talking. And in their talking is discouragement and discouragement. And then they're hearing the whispers. And the whispers is throwing them off from the work. And some of you in your lives, you got a Tobias and ballot. All they're doing is talking. And they're telling you what you can't do. And you was like, I'm going back to school. And they're like, no, you need to go back to work. And, and you're like, I'm going to start this. And they're like, no, no, that's not what God's calling you to do. And some of us, when we talked about friends, I was pleading with y'all. Man, stick with these friends. Stick with these. Stick with these friends. But some of these Negroes, you got to let go. <laughs> oh, you got to let them go because they're, they're stopping you from the work of God. Do you all understand me? There are some people that have, the enemy has strategically Put them in your life to pull you back from the things of God. The spirit of Tobiah and, 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 and Sembala didn't stop in Nehemiah. Some of you got those in your life right now. And it would behoove you to take heed to what I'm saying. The discouragement that you are feeling right now could be the opposition of people in your life. Consider that. People in your life, you should take inventory. Remember that list? You remember that list of five people I asked you to write down? Are any of them opposition to the things of God? It causes discouragement in your life. And some of you need to tell people to spiritually shut up. If somebody's saying something to you that is, that is anti what you know God has called you to do, you shouldn't even listen. You got to have the spirit of, ah, I just can't hear it. Tell that to somebody else. I'm working on the wall. That's what God wants us to do is work on the wall without the opposition. Now, here's the thing. The whole time we're talking about opposition, most of us are thinking about people, rightfully so. But do you know the greatest opposition is the enemy of your soul? Can we go back to this spiritual thing? It is not physical people. The greatest opposition for many of us is Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers and present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. Some of us right now, you think your greatest opposition is the person that's hating on you. The greatest opposition is the enemy of your soul because he wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. And many people think that the enemy is like just playing with us. Nah, he's not playing with you. The enemy, let me just be clear here. Satan is real. Like the, the devil is real. Let me go deeper. He's actually powerful. But do you also know that he's defeated? Oh, I didn't just state a promise. I stated a fact. I, I didn't, like if it was a promise, I can look forward to one day he will be defeated. But I stated a fact. Here's the fact that he's already defeated. And so as a Christian, I'm fighting against the enemy that already lost the battle. The fight is fixed. It was already done. How was it done? 
It was, a, it was done on the cross. And do you know, this, it just popped in my mind. Colossians says that he disarmed the rulers, those devices. He disarmed them. So in other words, Jesus on the cross didn't just beat the devil like he stole something. He took his weapons, then beat them. And so we serve a God that is a term, Christus Victor. It's Latin for Christ is victorious. Do you realize, if you realize that you served a God that was victorious, you make a little bit more noise than that. My God is victorious. Like he won. It's done. It's it's already done. I'm waiting this thing out. We're in this thing called the already, but not yet. I'm waiting for him to come back. Lord Jesus, come back. But let's be real. It's already, I know how the story ends. Here's how the story ends. He's already He's already won. There's a scripture in, 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 in that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. Oh, death, where is your state? Thanks be to God who gives us, listen, victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That text just said that not only did Jesus win, but he gave you the victory through himself. He's already, he's already, he's already won. Okay, Pastor B, I think I'm understanding. You gave, us, gave me some tools, and I really want to get out of here before the rain, but you really got to help me to get that remedy. The five lessons I understand of discouragement. What is the remedy? The remedy is two places. Number one is found in Scripture in verse 14, so go there real quick. But the worship team sang it, and we didn't even pay attention to it. We didn't realize that this is actually the remedy. Verse 14, verse 14 the, the, the middle part says, Here's what Nehemiah says. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. There's the remedy who was great and awesome. Some of you don't realize that the remedy to your discouragement is simply remembering the Lord. Repositioning yourself to focus on him. And in the midst of doing that, the scripture just called him great. And awesome. You know, I would have took either one. Like, you could have told me he's great and I'm in. You could have told me he's awesome and I'm in. The text says he's great and awesome. Do y'all realize the song we were singing in here? When we were singing, great are you, Lord? If you really realize how great he was, we wouldn't sit in this room as though it was entertainment when Kyla was singing it. I'm grateful for the worship team. I'm grateful for the band. I'm grateful for the skills that they bring forth. But if they sing off key and the band was all over the place, God is still great. And he's awesome. Somebody say God is great. God is awesome. And here's the thing you learned about his greatness as a kid. Before you even ate that food, we said God is great. You know why we said God is great? We're just affirming what Nehemiah has already said. Some of you are ready to give up. Remember the Lord. Some of you ready to throw your hands in, the, uh, throw your hands up. Remember the Lord. Some of you have left that project unfinished. Remember the Lord. Some of you are scared to move out in faith. Remember the Lord because the Lord is merciful. He's kind. He's great and He's awesome. What an awesome God we serve! Can we praise God for His greatness? Hallelujah for his awesomeness. There's somebody in this room, not just somebody, there's many of you in this room that are in a season of discouragement. And you can't seem to get out of it. You don't know what it is, what the funk is. And some of you do know what it is. You know what that spiritual funk is that you're in, and you know exactly where it's coming from. Here's what I want to do. Can we just pray together? I want to pray for you because there is somebody that I know that you're on that that brink of next. Whatever that is. And I don't know what it is. I don't know everybody's story in the room. But I know some of us are on that brink of whatever next is. In this case, next is finishing the wall so that the people can worship. Whatever your building is, whatever you are doing, the discouragement has stopped you. Here's what I just simply want to do. I'm going to pray. If that's you, can you do me a favor? Can you come to the altar? Come stand around. If you're like, man, like nothing deep, man. If you're like, I'm just tired of being in this season of discouragement. Hey, tired of being in this season of discouragement. Look, I just need y'all to see the room. If you can't get all the way close, just get close enough. 
get close enough, stand out in the aisles as, as, a, as a sign that I won't be in this season any longer. As a sign I won't be here. No, this is, this is my last day. And I'm not simply saying your last day of the situation. Because my God's so great, man. I'm not minimizing your trauma here. My God is so great that he doesn't have to take me out. Y'all understand me? And my God is so great that he can, he can keep me in, but I just need the promise of your presence. I need Psalm 23, even though I go through the valley. He didn't promise to be at the end of the valley. He promised to be in the valley. And that's what we need. Discouraged folk need Jesus. Can I say, discouraged folk need the king. He wipes away all our tears. Every head bow, every eye closed. Father, I know somebody in this room, they got put off track. Some of them are at a standstill, a stop. The rhythms of life have, have ceased. So they're just kind of going through the motions, and, you know, just going through life and not really, not really plugged in and dialed in and discerning what you're calling us to do. Lord, you got something for everybody on this altar to do. I think my job, Lord, this morning is to help them to realize that they don't have to do it steeped in discouragement. But as the enemy pulls out that tool out of his tool belt, Father, we can pull out one of these tools and do what verse 14 says, remember the Lord. And so, Lord, I know somebody forgot. Somebody forgot about the power of your son. Somebody forgot about the might of your son and the majesty and the weight. Someone forgot that he actually is victorious and that the battle is already won. So, Lord, help us to work from victory, not for it. You've done it already. You've accomplished the work already. And so as believers, oh God, we just simply want to obey you and look more like your son who is victorious. Lord, I know somebody on this altar is dealing with something, something major. They haven't told anybody about it, but they walked in this morning. They're full of anxiety. They walked in this morning. Ah, there's somebody that's even walked in this morning considering that this is the last, last day for them. They're committing suicide today. Lord, I, I bind that spirit as you told us we can do in Matthew. And I pray, oh God, that they just wouldn't experience life, but that they would experience life abundantly because we are your children. And Lord, you, when we ask you these things, oh God, we're not asking a, a father that doesn't give good gifts to us. You said that if we ask you for a fish, you won't give us a serpent. So Lord, here we are asking you to help us with the discouragement. Whatever the situation is, oh God, I pray that you would work it out. I pray for the friends of everybody on this altar. Expose them. And give us the ability to remove them. Because they are a hindrance to the work we need to do. They are a hindrance to the building. So Lord, help us to identify them. And help us, oh God, to remove them. And finally, God, I pray that as we work through all of this text, that this wouldn't be a sermon that we just here take notes and walk away and do nothing. Lord, I believe that you, believe that you strategically caused an audible today because you want to call an audible in our lives. You see us going on, on a trajectory of discouragement and doubt. So Lord, I pray that the disappointments, if they hit, that they wouldn't cause us to give up. Don't let the disappointment cause us to throw our hands up because we got so much to do in you. So give us clarity. Crystallize this season in our lives. Make sense of this sanctification process called discouragement. Make sense of it so that this season comes up next time and we'll deal differently with it. Connect us back to you as we do what verse 14 says, remember the Lord. It's in his name and his name alone we pray. Amen.